Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. The Stoics had emotions, you know, like everyone's got emotions. They just didn't let emotions run their life. Yes. And there's a there's this great, like one of the older Greek Stoics, Chrysippus, I think that's how you pronounce it, he talked about emotion being like a dog that is tied to a cart that runs down a hill. Once it starts going, it's very hard to stop it and the dog gets, you know, dragged along behind mm-hmm. it. Um, so you have to stop the cart before it rolls down the hill. Yep. And that's where reason steps in. Reason's like a, um, you know, safety break. Great to be back with you here, as always, and welcome back to another action-packed episode of Humans of Purpose. First off, a big thank you to our major sponsor, Neon Treehouse, who are still the best digital agency on the planet Earth. They're doing a terrific job handling all our social media and marketing work and making us look far better than I ever could by myself. This week, I'm bringing you my exclusive conversation with Bridget Delaney. Bridget is an author, a journalist, and TV series producer whose latest book is Reasons Not to Worry, How to Be Stoic in Chaotic Times. As someone on the Stoic path and having done a stack of reading and research on this important ancient school of applied philosophy, I reckon that Bridget's book is the most relatable, funny, and accessible book on how we can apply Stoicism to our lives to improve our character and live a good life. Bridget and I talk about why Stoicism is useful, the four virtues of wisdom, courage, justice, and temperance, and why applying the control test can help us stay grounded in a chaotic world. We talk about our learnings and insights on living by Stoic principles, what we've learned from this, and how we feel this might be a useful framework for others. We also discuss the release of Bridget's upcoming Netflix series, Well Mania, which she co-produced based on her book of the same name from a few years ago. This one comes out at the end of March. It's a fantastic book and we discuss Bridget's immersive gonzo journalism approach and experience in immersing herself in the wacky world of modern wellness industry. A reminder that if you'd like to enjoy the podcast earlier than everyone else without the annoying ads and with full transcripts, a personal audio note from me and a concierge service to be connected to our wonderful guests, you can become a Humans of Purpose member for the cost of a coffee each month. Check out the link in our show notes to learn more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Bridget as much as I did. Bridget, I am so glad to have you here. Thank you for making the trip down to Melbourne just to see me. Oh, no worries, Mike. Any time when I get an email like the one I got from you just saying how much you love my book, I was like, <laughs> let me get on the next plane. Is that the best way to get an author to fly into state and come and talk to you? I think an email showing that the podcaster has read the book, engaged with it and the themes chime with them is is such a good start because, you know, throughout my kind of book career, this is my fourth book, you can really tell who's read the book and who hasn't read the book and it, it can make for an awkward interview um, if the interviewer hasn't actually read the material. 
I um I don't get a lot of time to read books now. I listen to a lot of audio books. Just my young son Marlo's come along and testing me in all kinds of interesting stoic ways. But this is one that I couldn't put down. Uh, I got a few. I've got a probably two week break at the end of the year and got lucky and got to go up to the peninsula to do some reading and you know, sitting and having some in source parental help to look after him. So I tucked into this and I just thought no one has done this good a job at bringing relatability to Stoicism and the modern sort of Stoic journey than what you have. So I felt compelled to reach out. Um, I don't often email authors out of the blue and say, you're awesome, I love you, can can we hang out and be best friends, et cetera, et cetera. But um, it was really lovely of you to first of all respond and indulge me with a long phone call where we got into a lot of the heavier stuff too. So Mm. thank thank you for that and thanks for being receptive. That was enjoyable. Yeah. So your book, Reasons Not to Worry, actually it's quite funny because when a few family friends saw I was reading this that they said to me, are you okay? You know, do you need to go and talk to someone? I said, actually, it's part of my stoic exploration journey. It's, I'm okay, um, yeah. but I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to improve. I'm trying to live a better life. Mm. Very hard to explain to people who just, uh, you know, assume you're reading self-help books on the couch by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> is it a self-help book or is it a philosophy book? I don't Let's think see. it is a self-help book at all, but uh-huh. I, I can see why some people might think that. But I think it's a, I think it's a, a book about um, working on character, which I think is sort of at the core of Stoicism. Absolutely. And it's also just for people who are interested in that period of history and yeah. uh, the, the, the landscape at the time. Um, there's a lot of history throughout the book. So you could be feeling in tip-top shape psychologically and still get a lot out of the book. Yeah, totally. And, and I think that's the thing. I mean, it isn't like I'm down and out in Paris and London kind of thing, please help me. This this is more like I have a lot of questions and mm-hmm. I'm going to go looking for some answers. And mm-hmm. I think you bring a lovely sort of seeker journalistic quality to this, but also, and I don't know if you would embrace or reject this term, but sort of a gonzo style to, to what you do. You throw yourself right in, don't you? Absolutely. So my, my book before this, Well Mania, was, um, had been described as gonzo wellness journalism. And this is gonzo philosophical, you know, seeking. Um, it's gonzo, and why I like gonzo is because you, I, I keep an open mind I have the time and the capacity to delve into things that a lot of busier people don't have the time to. So, you know, I I do have a lot of spare time or, or I did have a lot of spare time when I was doing this book and the other books, which means that I can spend hours a day reading or testing things out or in the case of Wellmania, going to, you know, intense sort of meditation retreats or, um, you know, sort of psychotherapy workshops and uh, so good so i listened to Wellmania too and i love the contrasting uh, experiences you had in the yogic space we must talk about bikram yeah we must if we must <laughs> just briefly but then also that lovely american teacher that you had for your 12-week course was it uh yeah the one that was um that I, I feel um you were a little bit like reluctant or unsure about it but this guy was just beautifully authentic. Yeah, Adam. Yeah, yeah he was fantastic. Yeah. So you do, I, I think when you are seeking something, that you do actually find a lot of people who want to, you know, help you. So there's a whole, like the Wellmania was about the wellness industry um, and just the huge amounts of money involved in making people's bodies, minds and spirits, you know, a bit better. Whereas what I found when doing Reasons Not to Worry is 
there's actually not that much infrastructure around philosophy. Like um, I kind of had to find my own communities and establish my own communities of people that were interested in road testing philosophical ideas because there's no money in it. So You can't just walk down to uh, your local Athenian square and join a Stoic school, can you? I wish you could, but um, <laughs> sadly you can't. I think the world would be a better place if you could because yeah. right now our town square is Twitter, yep. um, which, you know, is a hellscape on a grand kind of global scale. Um, but, yeah, b- back then there were places where you could discuss ideas and how to be a, a better person and what does it mean to live a good life and how do you be virtuous and what's the uh, what's a good leader and um you know it, stoicism got its name from the ancient greek word for porch which is stoa you know so they used to meet in like i think it was 250 bc under the painted porch uh in athens and talk about um these ideas so stoicism kind of evolved from there Yes, it's it's a beautiful historical thing, but also something that's become really, I think, um, so discussed today. And, mm. and I sort of wonder, one of my opening questions before we get into sort of the roots of Stoicism is why has it made such a resurgence today? I'm not quite sure. I mean, I think there was a, there was definitely a tech bro element maybe 10 or so mm. years ago. Um, sort of Tim Ferriss style yeah, biohacking. Um, and, and Ryan Holiday was part of that. Before that, Alain de Botton didn't actually sort of directly reference Stoicism, but if you read a lot of his books, there are Stoic ideas throughout. Mm. Um, Oliver Berkman's another one who's done sort of work around Stoicism. I think it's possibly it's possibly become attractive um, to people these days because it doesn't lie. Like there is no, no word of a lie in Stoicism. It is completely no bullshit. Um, it says you're going to die. Um, you might die tomorrow. You might die tonight. Um, how do you how do you live the best life you can in the time you've got? So, you know, in a in a world where we're advertised to a lot, that's uh, you know we're we're being constantly sold things via our phones. Uh, there are screens everywhere. We have bullshit everywhere. We do, we do, and there is something so kind of um, recognizably authentic and real about stoicism that people. Are connecting with it, and um, when you read some of these texts or extracts from what things like people like Epictetus or Rufus Musonius or mm. Marcus Aurelius would say, it's like they're reaching through the annals of history, grabbing you by mm. the shirt and saying, "Listen, mm. you know, you yeah. better try and think about the four core virtues, yeah, and don't be a douchebag, you know, yeah, um, look after your community, yeah, think about how you want to be remembered." Like mm. it's really quite. An interesting yeah. experience. It is. There's this, um, um, you know, there's this Seneca quote which I love, which is, um, "We're bad men living amongst bad men, and only one thing can calm us. We must go easy on one another." Um, and that is that is as true today as it was, um, you know, in in ancient Roman times. And they didn't write with the kind of like, I mean, all the translations I've read are incredibly easy to read in very plain, I mean, Epictetus, very plain English. Um, Seneca was a beautiful writer. Marcus Aurelius, plain English, but but also poetic. Um, and a self-journal as well, which is yeah. it's a lovely sort of creative writing element to it. Ah, it was fantastic. Um, whereas you get sort of a bit later in history and you've got Ch- Chaucer and Shakespeare, which is kind of, 
more knotty, you know, to unpick the language, whereas there was just the way that the Stoics communicated, which feels very contemporary. And you've got a legal background, mm. um, as do I, but I'm, I'm more of a failed lawyer because I never really practised. <laughs> I sort of did my I didn't gen- practise for that long. Like You were, you were in the community, I, like, you know, <laughs> you did stuff, I know. For me, I was a judge's associate for a year and then decided I can't handle this. But one mm. thing I do love and stays with me, the law and language, mm. is clarity and simplicity and sort of that stoic desire to not say things unnecessarily, mm. so to convey an idea um, as simply and as logically as possible is I think just a beautiful idea. It's fantastic and they, they saw that as something important because to try and sort of create, um, like try and big yourself up through language or create something that's not there, they saw that as being um, qu- quite false and... Um, really prized plain speaking and, um, you know, speaking with integrity, with honesty, um, being courageous, which often involves being blunt. So once again, that's a language thing. Um, but, yeah, it's a, yeah, there's a lot to recommend them. So one thing I find really interesting about the Stoics, and I wonder whether this sort of also drew you to them, is this idea of ataraxia or mm. the idea of um, what I understand to be seeking a, a life of tranquility of some kind. And mm. I'd like you to embellish on my sort of simple person's definition. Mm. But sort of going beyond that um, that sort of pop- popular culture notion of let's all try and be happy mm. or let's all try and seek contentment or let's all mm. try and be have maximum well-being, you know, does does that sort of, what was it about that or was there something about that notion, that broader notion of ataraxia that kind of drew you into stoicism? Um, Ataraxia is really interesting because it essentially means equilibrium Mm. um, and being okay with what comes at you. Um, Happiness is conditional. So a lot of people say I will be happy if I, um, like I looked at an apartment today and it's like, and the real estate agent said there are some really interested um, other people, uh, it's going to be very competitive. So if I say I'm only going to be happy if I get this apartment or this apartment will make me happy, that's not within my control because someone could offer more money, um, I might not get finance, like there's all these things. Whereas if I say I will be happy regardless if I get an apartment or not, I'll just be happy um, if I'm a good person, if I have good relationships with people, if I don't get too emotional about things, mm. that's what will make me happy. All of that is within my control according to Stoicism. So a lot of what we do in today's society is outsource happiness to a thing, like a relationship, a person, um, our health. I'll be happy when I get a six-pack. I'll be happy when I run a marathon. When my body fat is below 15%, I'll be happy. Yeah. It'll never be there. Um, So the Stoics say that there's so much can happen in life that's out of our control, um, including our our health and economic situations and whether or not, um, you know, our boss has had a bad day, so that makes, you know, that means we get a lot of heat. Uh, So they try to maintain or they try to... um, develop a situation where internally they would not be perturbed by things they couldn't control. Mm. Um, and so it meant mastering emotion to an extent. Like, I mean, I didn't totally agree with the Stoics here because I think some emotions um, are much more complex. Uh, and useful at times potentially. Useful and they tell you things and 
and also emotions come from, you know, the subconscious and, you know, our past history with certain things, uh, biochemistry, neurochemistry. Could we say that perhaps that is one facet of history and context that maybe in Roman society emotions were not a favourable thing? Well, they they just saw, like in today's society, that, say, extreme anger um, can lead to conflict, warfare, assaults, um, you know, people outside your circle being adversely affected. So if someone is assaulted, that then echoes down the line to other people. You know, uh, it's... It's not um, it's not conducive to tranquility, is it? Exactly. So the Stoics thought if, they're, if they can maintain their own tranquility, they're less likely to get angry, which means they're less likely to cause greater harm to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so that's, I guess, a long way around about talking about ataraxia, which is like it's good for the person involved um, to be ataraxic, to have a calmness and equilibrium, but it's also good for the community yeah. because you're not putting your shit on someone. You're yeah. not... Um, if you've had a bad day, you're not taking it out on someone else. Um, I think equanimity is really good, but then, you know, like if you go to therapy uh, like I do occasionally, they'll be like, are you expressing your emotions enough? Mm. (laughs) You kind of, this is sort of the modern stoic conflict, isn't it? You know, like we're kind of, this generation is taught. Actually, when I grew up, we we were taught not to indulge in our emotions. It was probably Mm. a bit more stoic. Then came this big wave, especially in for men, where if you were not... In do- expressing your emotions enough, you you were deemed to just be like you know uh, out of touch, um, mm. unemotionally available male, and so mm. now you have to kind of lean into your emotions more and be more emotionally mm. aware, which is, I think is quite healthy. But then you got the Stoics telling you, "Oh, well, try and re- remain um, equanimous or yeah. have equanimity all the time or tranquility." I don't think it. I don't think it's necessarily in conflict. Like you can be mm. emotionally aware. Mm. And be tranquil. Yes. Um, It's how you act on your emotions. So the Stoics say you can control three things, um, your character, your actions and reactions, and how you treat others. Yeah. So actions and reactions are um, if someone cuts you off in traffic and your immediate emotion is anger, um, do you you then recognise you've got anger? uh, Do you then express it? Your re- so that's your reaction. Mm. Um, in the case of road rage, it's sometimes better not to express it oh, because yeah. it escalates. I think it's always better not to express yeah. it if you can avoid it. Definitely. But if you're in, say, you're, you, you've got a friendship or your partner and there's an issue that's made you upset, um, the Stoics would say, like, you know, react to it but use your reason you know we're all we're all equipped with reason so use your cool down the anger wait a bit and then say i was upset when you did this to me today because yeah. blah 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 i think the stoics um would have said will smith just hold on a second <laughs> just think about how Absolutely. this plays out and maybe just have a word to chris rock afterwards you know? <laughs> um and you can see what's happened after that which is like his yeah. his career i mean who knows how it will play out eventually yeah. but you know he was publicly shunned and shamed and he's basically had to lie low for about a year. Yes. Um, and I, he's, I, he's temporarily cancelled, as we say. Yeah, in the absolutely. Economy. But I bet you he regrets it, you know. Yes, like, yeah. What did he get from that? Nothing. You know, he just got a heap of shame and it's been, you know, it was awful for Chris Rock, awful for him. Um, so and, what we're saying here essentially is like 
we're not saying that we should be denying emotions. Yeah, definitely. We, we should be thinking about how we respond to them. Yeah. Which is actually like we're taking stoicism, which is 2,000 years old, mm-hmm. and that is a very adaptive therapeutic piece of advice there, isn't it? Yeah. I mean so like I, and, and as, as we know, a lot of the stoic principles inform the development of things like CBT and, you know, mm. you know ther- therapy. Um, so that for me is really interesting Um I don't want to say tension, but I, I would almost say coexistence. It's definitely a coexistence. Yeah. So one of the things I found when I started writing the book on Stoicism is I'd say, I'm writing about the Stoics, and colleagues of mine would say, oh, yes, my father was Stoic. He never cried, never never said he loved me. <laughs> yeah. Um, didn't even show emotion when my mum died. And I was like, no, 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 no that's not. No. Yeah, and you cover that in the book actually. I think there's a bit where you talk about the difference between lowercase and uppercase. Yeah, that's yeah. not. The Stoics had emotions, you know, mm. like everyone's got emotions. They just didn't let emotions run their life. Yes. And there's a, there's this great, like one of the older Greek Stoics, Chrysippus, I think that's how you pronounce it, he talked about emotion being like a dog that is tied to a cart that runs down a hill. Once it starts going, it's very hard to stop it and the dog gets, you know, dragged along behind Mm it. Um, So you have to stop the cart before it rolls down the hill. And that's where reason steps in. Reason's like a, um, you know, safety break or whatever. So Mm. um, something happens, you feel a rush of emotion, you then go to respond in an aggressive or angry way. Reason comes in and says... Some guys just insulted, you know, the Will Smith case. Some some guys just insulted your wife. Anger, I want to go and slap him. Reason says, you're at the Oscars. Um, Billions of people are watching this worldwide. Have a word to him after the show, not now. So what happened with Will Smith was Reason, he didn't, the cart of anger just ran down that hill faster than Reason could step in. Um, so st- all Stoicism is asking is for re- reason to be given a seat at the table of emotion. Yes. So, yeah, and, and sort of I think thinking in particular about how you how you think about things, mm. how you act and how you react is such a helpful framing of really some of the key tenets, right? Absolutely. And look, something like um, anger can be so instructive in telling you where your boundaries have been yep. pushed. Yep. It can it's there for a reason. It's an examination of why am I angry? Yeah, almost sort of yeah. not to act in an angry way, but mm. to say why do why am I reacting angrily? Mm. And you know, this is a lot of the work that that I've done actually in, in therapy. Sort of sort of thinking about you know, um, I might have a visceral reaction to something that the, someone said either at work or or in the home life, and not in my behaviour, but maybe my um, my words back will be a bit fiery. Mm. Um, then you know, the advice that I've got is to sit with it take some time and mm. don't respond immediately and mm. feel in your body if that where, where's that emotion and where mm. is it coming from mm. and sort of like regulate that kind of mm. upswell of emotion before responding. Yeah. And for me that's enabled me to have far more calmness or, you know, feel mm. more, you know, equanimity about things. And calmness is yeah. super important. Um, I did a meditation, meditation teacher training course last year and 90% of that was learning how to regulate the nervous system. Mm. So how do we get – people are in a almost 24-7 jacked up. Everyone's jacked all the time. So true. Four coffees before 12 yeah. p.m. style. Overstimulated, um, you know, like the news constantly coming at them, devices on constantly. So people's nervous systems are in this state of absolute, um, you know – Heightened chaos. I think cortisol has something to do with it as cortisol, well. Cortisol, yeah. So it's it's a matter of like 
well, what the, you know, the Stoics didn't know about, um, you know, biochemistry, but essentially what they meant by ataraxia was like bringing the nervous system into a calm place um, so that you're, yeah, you're not having, you know, huge amounts of cortisol pumping around your body, being unable to sleep, being reactive, being um, cranky. You just can live better if you're calmer um, and you're less, yeah, as I said, less reactive, less angry. You more enjoy stuff because you're not, you know, constantly on edge or irritable. You talk a lot about your yoga practice both in Wellmania and in the, <laughs> your latest book. How's the practice going? You're still getting to it regularly? I've hurt my shoulder so um, I'm just resting at the moment. Yeah, for me right now um, meditation is more important than yoga because of because I think it'll get me into ataraxia a bit easier. Yeah, uh, movement does help, but um, do you think about tranquility now as a goal? Like, is that yeah. kind of your primary state that you're seeking to attain? Yeah, um, my each year I set a, a I have a word for the year. Um, I think last year was vitality, um, and this year it's um, relaxation. You know, I I just want to be more relaxed this year. And I've asked a lot of people. In fact, I'll ask you. Your word of the year, but like a lot of the people... It's ataraxia. It's ataraxia, is <laughs> Sorry. it? Yeah, is well, it really? It definitely is because I just think it's a remarkable word. I mean, I, yeah. I really like meaning um, and finding yeah. words that have interesting yeah. meanings and tell us a lot about a place, a time, a, a sensation. And I think I've, for a while, equanimity was my word, mm. actually. Then I kind of took a new lens to it, which was... Um, benevolent equanimity, so mm. the idea that you can be have equanimity but also a positive framing to that. Mm. Yeah. So expecting good things, like mm. a positive bent to equanimity. Mm. But I think the how ataraxia encompasses both equanimity and tranquility is, mm. is certainly something that is now my, yeah, I, I like it so much that I, I would get a tattoo. Uh, oh, wow. But I'm not that guy. So yeah, someone yeah. else can do that. I'm not that person either. <laughs> um, but I asked a lot of friends. So relaxation is yours this year? What? Is the relaxation is Relaxation yep. mine. And a lot of my friends, their word was contentment or, mm. you know, peace. But not happiness, interestingly. No one, no one is even happiness wanting is, to is go near that word. Is happiness very out of vogue now? Oh, people realise that happiness is fleeting. Um, you can't sustain it for a whole year. Yeah. Uh, is it like a mirage or an oasis? It's, you know, I think with happiness... It is a. It often comes along when you least expect it. The things that it's you, fleeting, isn't it? It's fleeting. The things you thought would make you happy make you happy for ten seconds. <laughs> um, contentment's. You know, I talk about it in the book. Contentment or ataraxia is like a slow release drug. Yeah. You know, rather than a hit of cocaine. Yep. Of happiness, it's it's a morphine. You know, just let it run through your body slowly throughout the day, and that's far more appealing than something short and sharp. Also the things that I thought would make me happy um, haven't. Uh, and but You're really interesting because I, I can sort of see through the way, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not trying to say I don't know your life but because of how you do gonzo journalism, yeah. I feel like you reveal a lot of yourself and mm. you're, you don't strike me as somebody who's ever thought that wealth would make you happy yeah. or material things or, yeah. you know, career, um, outrageous career success, mm. becoming the editor of, you know, XYZ, major mm. masthead. Yeah, I'm not, I, I guess because I, like, I always wanted to be a writer and I thought that 
once I was a writer, I would be happy. But I realized when my first book came out in oh God, years ago now, 2009, I think, mm-hmm. that it didn't change my life. My life was just the same. <laughs> so the thing that I really wanted that I thought would make me happy forever um, made me happy briefly, but ultimately, you know, it didn't change things. So I now like writing for the process of writing, not yep. for the result. But you, you also sound happy in your life at some of the simpler things that you mm. enjoy that regular people might enjoy in their lives and I can relate to that mm. really um, well. Like I I think about um, the contentment or the, the tranquility that we draw from small parts of each day yeah. that contribute to like a nicer patchwork of tranquility. Absolutely. Like um, I... Uh, flew back to Melbourne today from Sydney and, um, you know, there's parts I was walking, I was, before I got a taxi here, a friend and I were walking his dog down Rathdown Street um, and it was, it's beautiful weather and uh, it just was, I love that part of Melbourne and it was just so nice to be walking with a friend and a dog down a sunny street where I had lots of happy memories and, you know, it's 10 minutes of happiness. Uh, I walked my dog this morning and it was my, one of my most fun things today. Oh, lovely. And Apart from this podcast. Obviously. <laughs> um, but, you know, just spending time with my dog, um, mm. knowing that I had a busy day and it was under time pressure and, you know, it's just <laughs> nice to be with your dog. Absolutely. And I, I think also the pandemic, you know, for all its, you know, strangeness made people realise like, okay, if I can't go beyond 5k or if i'm this constrained what's going to make me happy yeah. in this day is it going to be a meal is and it did you be... write a lot of this during the pandemic i wrote i i was studying stoicism during the pandemic and i wrote the kind of final draft last year because you do there's a lot of simple pleasures in here yeah which i feel like i sort of frames around that you know mm. the lens of the covert confinements yeah, a lot of the a lot of the kind of intense work I did on it was in the Sydney lockdown, mm. um, which is you know the lockdowns are always great for writers because yeah. <laughs> there's no distractions. Yeah, but there's also sort of I thought oh this will just be like a writer's retreat, but it, it's not because you ha- you go through all sorts of en- existential angst when yeah. you're in lockdown because you suddenly look at your life and see what it's reduced to. It's a, an apartment or a house. It's this person or it's a bubble or it's like this, you know, partner or whatever um, and all the other stuff is gone and it can be very confronting. I think like one interesting thing that sort of littered throughout the book is your conversations with, you, with your close friend who was also mm. on that stoic journey and you would go for long walks, swims, yeah, lunches. I feel like um, as good as uh, solitude is for studying Stoicism, it sort of needs a partner, that sort of mentor kind of teacher or that dialectic kind of relationship. Absolutely. And that was, um, I mean, that was a kind of, that was a friendship that was, you know, it's a long friendship, but the Stoic element started before the pandemic. So Mm. we started talking about Stoicism in 2019 and um, uh, we decided to, meet regularly and discuss various aspects of Stoicism. So we'd meet in his office in Martin Place with a whiteboard. We'd go through the early principles. And then when we were locked down, we'd started taking these long walks where um, it might start with a problem. Like I might say, oh, I've 
you know, had a rough time at work because of this. And he would apply the stoicism and we'd sort of go, okay, does the stoicism work on this situation or is it outdated? And it was a perfect way to learn stoicism and apply it because you've got a real-life situation and you've got someone to go back and forth with. And, you know, kind of interestingly I found that um, Seneca, one of the Roman Stoics that I write a lot about in the book, he had a friend called Lucilius and they used to go back and forth in the same way. Oh, their letters are wonderful. Yeah, in, in letters. So, I mean, a lot of philosophy, definitely Stoicism, is meant to be a dialogue amongst friends or, you know, that... One of the Stoics talks about it as being a physician-patient relationship. Yep. So I think that's Epictetus. He talks about it being applied like medicine yep. but to the soul. I'm seeking your counsel on my problem of X, Y, Z. Yeah. Um, the teacher will write like a kind of a prose discourse on how, different ways that have worked for him, common approaches yeah. and maybe some suggested remedy for, yeah, for said so problem. Yeah, so it's almost like I guess a, an ancient form of therapy. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is is amazing and uh, makes for beautiful reading, doesn't it? It's look, letters to Lucilius are a gold. Yeah. Um, and if anyone wants to read them, I think Tim Ferriss on his website's got a, a the Tower free. of Seneca is yeah. Um, yeah. So I've got that audio book and I highly recommend it. There's something like thirty six letters that are that are read and hearing how the tone comes across and sort mm. of the the lovely way that they greet each other, mm. so, you know, so excited to get a letter from one another and sort of yeah. like the first part of every letter is, oh, it's so wonderful to hear from you, Lucilius, <laughs> and how you've grown into such a, you know, wonderful young scholar. And, yeah, it's, you know. it's great. And um, touring, I mean, the book came out a few months ago, but mm. touring it earlier and speaking to audiences, I think what people are really craving is community where you can have those discussions that are deeper. Oh, well, big time. Um, and there's not necessarily places where, pe- you know, because it's not, it's not quite therapy, but it's not quite, it's not intellectual. It's not kind of separate from your own psychology. So it's a. Let me think, let me put it to you this way, mm. right? My grandfather uh, was a professor at a university and my dad grew up in his home and he would bring home all these interesting people from academia and different parts of society to the house and they'd sit around the table and eat Mm. dinner and talk about the important matters of the day. Mm. I'm thinking like some kind of salon, some sort (laughs) of um, blended thing, but what I'm also thinking about is a place where people can discuss the difficult matters of the day mm. but also have frameworks for navigating really complex mm. life. Mm. Life is so complex now. It's super complex but you see from reading Stoicism, it's always been complex. It's always been complex, that's right. And, um, it's, and for some of them, I think dealing with famines, plagues, warfare, yeah. trying to run a country but also be a philosopher king, <laughs> um, yeah. It, I mean, Seneca worked for Nero. That would have been a, a complex... Tough boss. Uh, complex role. <laughs> Epictetus um, was a slave until he was freed and then ran a, ran a school, became a, a... Late in life, became a father to an adopted child. You know, there's... He's so cool and like having like a leg broken by his master but not seeming to have really much of an issue with that. <laughs> like well, it's just... yeah. He, that is quite stoic, lowercase, by the way. quite stoic. Um <laughs> And each of the three people that we've mentioned, um, Seneca, Epictetus and, and Marcus Aurelius, are interesting because they come from different places but they all found something in common with Stoicism. So Epictetus, a slave born into captivity, um, Seneca, a self-made man, almost like the Elon Musk of his yep. day, 
and Marcus Aurelius, most powerful man in the world. Um, so those three are the people that I refer to the most in the book as being kind of the main. Hey, babe, what you got there? This is a check from Carvana. I just sold my car to them. I went online and Carvana gave me an offer right away. Then they just picked up the car and gave me this. Well, that's a big check. Well, obviously you could put this towards your next car, or we could finally get that jacuzzi, or I could start taking tuba lessons, or I could quit my job and write my memoir. Or I can put it towards my next car with Carvana. Sorry, your check, not mine. Sell your car to Carvana. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get a real offer in seconds. In Roman Stokes, whose work still exists today, and it's... You know, each of it is wonderful and they each come at Stoicism from completely different backgrounds. Maybe let's touch on um, the four key virtues of Stoicism, wisdom, mm. justice, uh, temperance and... Courage. Courage, of course. Mm. You know, I didn't have the courage to remember that one, but that mm. all important um, and really, I mean, set the foundations for a lot of the Stoic thinking and the lessons. If we can just sort of touch on some of the categories and some of the things that maybe each of those virtues you came away with through your mm. study and your time sort of really deep diving into mm. stoicism, some of the most important lessons or maybe things that you apply in your life now from mm. those tenets. Yep. So um, wisdom, wisdom, it's funny, like it's a it's a amorphous virtue, yeah. but it is, of course, one of the most important virtues. Um, and the Stoics were big believers in leadership. So a lot of politicians um, were amongst their their um, cohort. There was, uh, you know, people who were strong within that community. So in order to lead, you need to be wise. How do you be, be wise? You use reason. Um, so you don't make decisions based purely off emotion. You don't make decisions based on what the mob say or what's going to kind of get the most favour. The most popular. Most popular. Um so uh so wisdom is you know wisdom is one of those virtues where you know it if you see it <laughs> or if you hear well, it. Well it sounds to me like for you it's very much about um applying reason where possible. Yeah. But then then I one thing I'll just tricky tricky little sideball in. How do you balance that with like uh you know, there's this big thing around uh, let your gut do the thinking or my gut yeah. tells me this. How do you balance that yeah. with your reason? So in, intuition is not separate from reason. You know, it's a different form of reason. Mm. And I think there's an interplay between the head and the heart has yep. to have a, a say. Mm. You know, the heart is, you know, just because we don't understand it in science doesn't mean that it doesn't have strong um you know, it doesn't have a strong role to play. Like, you know, if you, you meet someone and you fall in love, it is your heart that is the main organ of... Maybe um, your subconscious telling you something that your conscious yeah. isn't ready to interpret yet. Yeah, exactly. So um, so I think wisdom is head and heart. Um, it's about compassion and, um, you know, mercy and a lot of a lot of great traits that come from having a good heart but also being... Um, you know, yeah, applying reason, being smart, but not being clever, you know, there's a difference. But also as a writer, for you, mm. is wisdom about becoming more wise through observation, learning and, you know, working on your projects maybe? Yeah, and I, th- I think it does. I mean, you meet wise, very wise young people, so it's not – and you meet very stupid old people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think it does come with age as well. If you – the longer you've been around, the more you've seen, um, the more you've been wrong – 
uh, and if you realize you're you've been wrong and then you change so it's a willingness to kind of be flexible with uh, your views, which I think is a really underrated thing at the moment. Yeah, I actually do think that is something that comes with age a little bit more, the um, flexibility of thinking, but not for all people so mm. and not at the same rate. Well, the, there's a problem now where you can get, you know, bashed up on social media for changing your mind, you know, for oh, having a different... I find that so ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, that not that... Isn't mental flexibility something that we should all be striving for to say, actually, I was wrong? Mm, Absolutely. And um, having a fixed position, um, if it doesn't actually serve the greater good, uh, is, yeah, is not a great thing. Yeah, it's sort of the the example I think of there is the um, the climate change deniers who are Mm. still banging on, oh, look, you know, it's seasonal changes. I mean, mm. come on, mate. You know, 98% of people accept the evidence, uh, yeah. scientists. Like let's just, can we just move on a little it's bit? embarrassing. I mean, yeah. But then, you know, that's got to be balanced with being a person of your word as well. Yeah. So yeah, being yeah. able to, uh, people knowing that if you say something, you mean it and you'll be able to mm. carry through. So it's, it's a dance. What does courage mean to you? Courage... I think is the ability to face up to reality and that is the hardest thing of all. Um, and sto- there's a lot of this in Stoicism about um, Marcus Aurelius writes beautifully about it, about waking up, you know, wake up, look at look at what's in front of you. We often daydream and think we, you know, we, we, we can often like exist in a, in a reality that is completely um, false because... Uh, we want it to be a certain way but it's not so we might think that so we've got a crush at work, you know, we might think, oh, yeah, that person likes me. Today he, you know, looked at me extra long when I was making my tea and (laughs) and that person might have just been looking at the wall. Uh, So people can exist for years in in false situations and sometimes you see this when people um, get a diagnosis or um, their company's failing or whatever and they're just blindly optimistic that it will work out. And Stoicism says actually if you have courage, you look at the good and the bad, you look at reality and you may not like it Mm. but courage is facing up to what's in front of you, um, not what you want to see. Yeah, I like that. I'll give you an interesting spin for myself on courage. Um, I used to think courage for me was just my superpower was telling it how it is Mm. and, you know, I leaned into that a lot. And then at a certain point it became just stupid, Mm. like, you know, a sign of this is me being courageous. I'm going to go in and thump my chest and just Mm. say what I think in this important meeting. Um, Now courage for me is actually holding back on maybe saying, not saying the things that I would have said before Mm. um, just to prove that I'm, got good courage. Mm. Um, another thing is the courage to realise when you're wrong, acknowledge it and apologise. Mm. So I, I, this year um, and last year I've spent a lot more time um, reflecting on how I've acted in a certain situation or reacted mm. um, and it, and then if my appraisal is that I handled things the wrong way, I write to the person and say, hey, I just want to let you know I'm sorry about doing mm. things that way. That wasn't cool. Yeah. Um, um, what and sort of response have you had to that? Well, um, 
Response aside, internally, it's mm. set me free completely. Mm. It's been probably the biggest um, improvement in mental state and yeah. towards tranquility that I could get. It's been my biggest stride towards tranquility, I would say. Mm. Um, and externally, I think people are just a bit shocked. Like they think it's a bit weird. Yeah. Like I've been known to, you know, be a little bit short. I was in a cafe the other day and I think I was a little bit anxious to get my son home for a nap and mm. and whatnot and I was a little bit um just cagey with a barista. Mm. I, I like baristas. I, I really mm. like that relationship, your local mm. coffee place. So I went back in the next day um, and um, said to the guy, look, I just really want to apologise about yesterday. I was really inappropriate with you. Um, mm. I'm really sorry. Um, can I make it up to you somehow? Mm. And the guy didn't even remember what had happened. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, look, it's totally fine. It happens yeah. all the time. And I'm like, no, it's not totally fine. Yeah. Um, that was poor character. So I think I think – Courage for me is the courage to admit when you're not um, you're not doing things that are consistent with improving your character. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's mm. yeah, that chimes as well. Yeah, so we covered courage and wisdom, justice. Justice is um, another toughie. Another toughie. Well, the you know, as you would know, having studied law, you know, there is this principle that runs throughout, like you know the law of natural justice, mm. which is um, so you can say that someone's been denied natural justice if they're sacked with because there's been a complaint about them but you haven't heard their side. Yeah. So uh, a lawyer will say that's a denial of natural justice. Yeah. Um, so that came from Stoic principles. Um, you know, the Stoics believe that if, um, you know, if you hear both sides, if you apply reason when making a decision, um if you make sure someone's punished but once they've served their punishment they are not then forced to suffer again, yep. uh, that's all part of justice. And justice is, a, once again, like wisdom, it's an intuitive concept. You know it when you see it. Mm. Um, and you know when you know when there's been an injustice. Yep. You know, it might be, um, you know, we saw with George Floyd, you know, or you see it um, in Australia with, you know, the rates of Indigenous incarceration. Yeah. Um, is that justice if one segment of the population is overly represented, mm. overly placed, uh, all that sort of stuff? So, yeah, justice is a common sense principle. Um, and for me it was the get-out-of-jail card that I needed when Andrew and I were very much interrogating whether or not you could have social justice if you were a Stoic mm. because Stoicism has such a small field of control. It says you can't control much. So where does that leave activism? Where does that leave change? And, and um, that's what we talked about on the phone for a fair yeah, bit too. Yeah. So, um, and so where it, did you land with that? Well, we, we landed with if, if justice is a Stoic virtue, then justice is important in being a Stoic. So you can't just focus on your own character. You mm. have to look at the community, you have to look at if justice is within your community yep. um, and if you are living in a just society mm. and it's incredibly important. So I think that justice, you know, having justice is one of the four virtues to me saves stoicism from being a bit too inward. Individualistic, I would say. Yeah. yeah. I, do, I, I do think that the one thing that's missing from stoicism that I do find in Buddhism is the focus on helping others mm. and altruism. 
Yeah. And I, I would have loved to see a bit more altruism in some of the thinking, but maybe it comes under justice. It does come under justice. And if you read, say, well, Marcus Aurelius writes a lot about it. He's, he has this great line, um, what's good for the hive is good for the bees. Mm. So what's good for the community, the hive, yeah. is good for the individual. And in fairness, they do talk a lot about community and communitas, yeah. the, yeah. the idea of a unified community. Yeah. So, But they did realise that you can't, you can't change someone else's mind. Yep. You can try, but ultimately a person is a, is separate from you. Another person is, is a separate being. They have their own separate mind and they will choose what they want to choose and you can't force them. So they were quite, you know, they were quite clear about what you could and couldn't do. Um, do you think there should be a middle category of influence between um, yes, I can control and no, I can't control this? I mean, there was a re- in Roman times, rhetoric was taught alongside Stoicism. Mm. So rhetoric is like the art of persuasion. Yep. So they recognised in society you needed to be Stoic, but also you needed to be able to persuade people, whether you were a, a lawyer in the courts, you know, arguing a case, or whether you were a legislator, or um, you know, you needed to be able to persuade people to achieve your end. But ultimately, you can't control them. And I think there's a, there's a sort of this thing with people where. It's like I'm so busy, I have a lot of my own problems, what causes can I take on? Like mm. it's not my responsibility to ensure equity in society or mm. take an activist stand or do something for social justice. Mm. I'm quite lucky um, having worked in the not-for-profit sector for about six or seven years now and working in an organisation that's technology for social justice. I feel like I am able to kind of have that as my bit. But I imagine it is quite hard for a lot of people to, to build that sort of justice element into their daily life where they find that. I mean, I think you'd be surprised how, I mean, I'm always constantly surprised how the people that are busiest, that have the least, that are under the most stress are often, often find time for activism. Um, And it's just that that's where their values lie. So, um, yeah, people who have been through the most horrendous situations, I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, domestic violence victims who will then agitate for more assistance for victims of DV yep. or legislation changes. Mm. Um, so I I reckon that people, even if they're time poor, it's so important to change certain things yeah. that the time can be found. And it's often a lot of us kind of more privileged people who are, uh, you know, don't don't interface with those systems who don't try and change them because we're already in a pretty good You're right. You do often spot. find the people least able to do so giving the most yeah. to these causes. Temperance? Ah, oh, temperance. Well, I'm doing dry January. Um, <laughs> and so temperance is moderation. You're locked and loaded on temperance. <laughs> yeah. um, temperance is the Stoics believed if you want to if you want to have ataraxia, you can't be hungover. You can't be, you kind of gorge yourself on a massive meal. Um, you can't be, also you can't be too hungry. Um, so they, temperature just, is about just having enough. You know, I like, like what you said in your book about like um, not drinking for a while and then like just having a night out in the town. Yeah, yeah. Because like the Stoics were quite down with that as well, weren't they? Like, Well, Seneca had this one exception to the temperance <laughs> rule, which is um, if something really terrible happens to you, like your spouse leaves you or you lose your job and you are stuck in a rut 
and he says that um, wine can wash away troubles, yeah. you know, but only once. <laughs> you know, you just and I, I think a lot of that. I mean, the amazing thing about Stoicism is it's it's pre-Christian. It's two thousand years old. Yeah. But that's also what we do today. You know, if a friend gets dumped, uh, you know, and you, she's depressed and in her pajamas, you go, "Okay, I'm going to take you out for a big night." Yeah, and often it it. <laughs> It helps. Resets, yeah, resets you, you need a, it. it's a good reset. I mean, there's yeah. a, there's practical wisdom as well, isn't there? It doesn't yeah. all just have to be highfalutin. Yeah, that is 2,000 years old, that yeah. bit of um, life advice. So I was constantly just so uh, amused by the Stoics that like we think we're we're so far ahead and uh, we're so sophisticated. <laughs> Actually, we they were probably more sophisticated than us. In I think many ways. All, they were a lot more sophisticated in many ways. It's it's um. What, what I love about Stoicism is how it's so old um, but so entirely relevant in so many ways and useful yeah. in so many ways today. Mm, it really um, is. I mean, and the, the great thing about it is that there's a whole sort of cradle-to-grave philosophy that's just sitting there. Yep. It's like it's accessible to anyone. They've done all the thinking for us. Yep. Um, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can just... Go and read a book. But as you said to me, um, like I asked you, how do you apply this stuff? Mm. And, and you did say you have to do the work. Yeah, uh, and, I, work. and I think what is beautiful um, about this and also quite stoic is you can't just become a stoic overnight. No. It's a like, and you may never become one, but there is a journey to trying to learn these things and, you know, trying to integrate um, some of these principles and ways of being into your life. Mm, absolutely. Like uh, the. Um you know, I was raised Catholic and, you know, there was a reason why we had to go to Mass every week, why I went to a Catholic school where we were taught religion many times a week, where we went to Mass during the week, where there were sacraments, because you need to be told time and time again the stories. Like you can't be just told once mm. and then expect to integrate it yep. constantly. Um, so I was reading could have been a Tim Ferriss thing. I was reading something this week where um, uh, one of the people, he, one of the guests he interviewed talked about reading 10 minutes of Stoicism in the morning. Yeah, I, I, I was that? John, John, Jonathan High? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I have heard, um, I think, a similar interview, yeah. And so, it's, you know, and that's probably, uh, you know, Stoicism is still fresh for me because I'm, I'm doing interviews. Mm. I'm, I just wrote the book. But there'll come a time where I will have to, do 10 or 15 minutes of reading a day. It's really quite easy though. Like, I mean, for me, I what I try and do is I was reading a chapter of your book before um, like at night time, just one chapter. And then um, having nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> and um, w- the other thing I would do is uh, first thing in the morning I think is a really good time for stoicism because it's so mm. pure and like mm. engaging and nice. Mm. It's sort of soothing as well. It's sort of it hits, soothing. Yeah, it's sort of mm. like you're working on your character. It's like self-work. Mm. So I would like um, when I go for a walk to put on a audio book about stoicism mm. and that's kind of my practice. Yeah. Uh, that's how I re-engage with it. Yeah. yeah, and it's um, the other practices that um, the ancient Stoics talk a lot about, so I'm thinking here of Seneca and Marcus Aurelius, is journaling. So yes. at night you journal not about what what people did to you and how the world's a terrible place, but how was my character today? Like um, did I, you know, did I snap at people? Could I have done better? You know, what will I do better tomorrow? Um, and so it's like a reflection on your own 
you know, your own actions throughout the day. I think reading quotes in the morning is also a really good thing. Like, you know, that um, isn't Marcus who has that great quote about today you'll encounter the worst of all people, like people who would deride you. People who are annoying (laughs) and, yeah. And you just have to bear with it. It's like sucking on a lemon before you go out and face the hardships of the day and it's Mm. so true. Like it's such a good quote. Um, he, He has this great quote about why would anyone want to be famous because the people that worship you Actually, no, I think it's like why would you want to have a legacy because the people that you'll appeal to will only be the same annoying people um, that you didn't really (laughs) want much to do with in your life (laughs) and now you're just going to be replicating it but you're dead so you don't even know (laughs) what they're saying about you. Um, That's brilliant. It was very funny. Yeah, I think temperance for me is sort of about moderation and mm. and, and like um, cutting down on vice a little bit. So rice, I, vice. Oh, right. I do like rice also, <laughs> and I'm trying to cut down on that too. But uh, I think yeah. just being a bit more moderate around, um, like not doing my indulgences too hard. Yeah. So you know, I love chocolate. So cutting yeah. back on maybe not having chocolate every night, or yeah. you know, I love burgers and dirty food. So maybe doing that every second or third night. Yeah. Um, so a bit of um, denial of some of those things, but then also, um, you know, I can go on um, quite addictive fitness binges as well. So like not needing to go to the gym every day. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they kind of said, because they talk about gyms and stuff as well. Like um, they had them back then, but it's like, if you don't gorge yourself the night before, you don't then need to run a marathon the yeah. next day. Yeah. So it's like if you eat less, you ne- you don't need to, you know, kill yourself doing exercise. So, yeah, yeah it's it's very sensible. I want to talk to you. I want to talk about Wellmania. I know yeah. you're on a tight timeline. Have we got mm-hmm. a, bit, a bit more time? Yep. I've got to be in um, North Carlton at 6.30. Okay. We'll, we've probably got like 10 minutes. Yeah. Yep. That's great. Awesome. So... Um, just touching on maybe some of the the key things that I've taken away and applied from stoicism. Mm. Listening more than you speak. Oh, I need to I need to Oh my god, thanks for reminding me. Yeah. <laughs> so, I just wanted I will share my if you want to share yours, you're welcome to be just keen on your reflection. So, and I've applied this at work and in my own life. So, I'm mm. giving you my experiment of what's been helpful for me. Mm. So, um, actually, even on my podcast, I use a tool called Otter to do the transcription, uh, yeah. and it tells me the percentage that I'm speaking and listening. And mm-hmm. you know the famous quote about we have two ears and one mouth, so you should mm-hmm. listen twice mm-hmm. as much as you speak. Mm-hmm. I think that's a stoic quote. It is a stoic quote. I think it's uh, it's one of them. Um, yeah. could be Epictetus. Yeah, it's Epictetus. Epictetus. Um, and so I look at the percentage breakdown after each podcast, and the closer I get to 33%, the happier I am <laughs> with the <laughs> podcast. And... I, for a couple of them, I've hit that 33%. Oh, wow. And I found that in my dealings with people in life, work, and all arenas, um, speaking around that percentage is just leaps mm. and bounds, really good. Mm. Um, another one is communicating um, with as few words as possible, clearly mm. and concisely, so as mm. not to contaminate meaning. Ah. So brevity in yeah. speech and directness, very, yeah. very effective. Mm. Um, at work in particular, um, saves you a lot of time in emailing um, mm. in particular, text messaging, getting straight to the point rather mm. than waffling too much or being grandiose has been incredibly useful. Mm. So, yeah, they're two um, major things that I would say um, have helped a lot 
Um, and thirdly, the control test. I know you talk a lot about the control yeah, test. Yeah, it's, it's but the cornerstone. It really, I mean, in terms of how you can live a, I don't want to say happier, but a, but a less disturbed mental life, <laughs> um, if you just put into it, if you just say to yourself, these are things that I control mm. and the rest I don't, so whilst I care about them, I don't care that much. Mm. Um, what a what a release! It's such a release. It's um, because I mean that's why the book's called Reasons Not to Worry because we worry so much about things that aren't within our control. That's right. We spend vast amounts of our life, our, our precious one precious life on Earth, stressed about stuff that is completely, you know, beyond. We can't do anything about it. So just don't worry about it. The final one would be focusing on a process and how I do things rather than the result of those things. Mm. And I think you've talked a bit about that, like um, not obsessing too much about the outcomes that you might not have control over. But Yeah, and that's what I talked a bit about before with um, writing a book. You know, I can't control how many people buy the book, yeah. but I can control the process of writing the book. Yeah. So enjoy the process, not the outcome. So, look, well, well mania um, – it's a book that you, you wrote a few years earlier and mm. I also had the opportunity to, to have a listen to that. The wellness space, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating, mm. it's fraught, mm. it's kind of all-encompassing, there's so much money in it, it doesn't ever seem to run out of steam. But you got onto the topic really early on. Yeah, I was unwell from a very young age. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just fascinated by it because I was working as a travel journalist and increasingly being sent to these really um, very bougie uh, health resorts where, I mean, there was one I went to in the Philippines um, where people would fly in from all around the world and it, and, and have these in, incredible detoxes and colonics and um, paid huge amounts of money. And it's because their circadian rhythms were buggered from flying so much uh, that they just needed to then pay large amounts of money to have their bodies reset. And then they'd just go off and do it all again. Um, So the wellness industry in many ways thrives off societal dysfunction. And, um, you know, that's something that uh, as I was writing the book, people became more aware of, which is like the wellness industry doesn't fix the capitalist system, it's part of it and it just makes, it just repairs the soldiers who are, you know, coming in, limping off the field and then sending them back out there um, and making huge amounts of money. And so you tried a lot of different things from Wellmania. Um, mm. The one thing I'd like you to talk about is the fast because that sounded oh my absolutely God. redonkulous. Insane. So I was living in New York and having a grand old time um, doing a lot of food reviews in places like New Orleans and Austin, Texas, and just very unhealthy. And Malcolm Turnbull, um, I think he was prime minister at the time, had gone on a fast and lost huge amounts of weight. And Sunday Life magazine said to me, would you be interested in doing the Malcolm Turnbull fast for a story? And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> so I went back <laughs> to Australia. Um, I was living in Bondi. And I, the fast involved not eating anything, no food for, for 14 days um, and going into a clinic and getting weighed and having Chinese herbs. And I'd never even been on a diet, let alone not eaten for two weeks. And so I kept a journal and it was just, it was just the most bizarre process. Like uh, I couldn't sleep for days and then I did nothing but sleep. I, 
I started smelling strange. Um, at one time I thought like <laughs> there was rubbish rotting outside my bedroom window. It was like a bin or something that had chicken carcasses in it. <laughs> and then I realised actually the smell was me. It's ketosis, right? <laughs> or the I don't know what it was. It was so yeah, bad. You, you, your description of like um, learning that the smell was you is so funny in that <laughs> yeah. book. It's, um, it was a funny process. I, I woke up one day. I was losing a kilogram a day. I was just disappearing. So your body is eating itself, right? It was. Yep. It was. Um, I woke up one day and every single wrinkle on my face was gone. It was like I'd had plastic surgery overnight. <laughs> my eyes were super clear. I was having the craziest dreams. Um, and a lot of a lot of fasting hasn't been studied because it's actually too dangerous to, yep. to do it. Um, so I was going on to all these like weird wellness blogs and people that, you know, breatharians who claim not to have eaten in oh, weeks. Those and, people, gee. Um, and then eventually I had started having heart palpitations and getting quite sick and I started eating again. Um, but, yeah, it's it's it was a really interesting experience. How long did you fast for all, all up? Uh, several months, maybe two months. Um, so gradually on this on this fast, you break the fast with half a cucumber. The following day you have an egg um, and then 50 grams of chicken the day after that and you repeat that cycle. By the way, this is not – I am not recommending anyone no, do this. No, no. Uh, and the fact that you did it made it for compelling listening. I mean, it's like well, mania is just like listening gold. And then yeah. then you go off to this remote um, convent outside of Perth um, with this <laughs> it's dark – a monastery, Benedictine monastery. Yeah, Benedictine yeah. monastery with this dark undertone history. <laughs> yeah. That must have been pretty – That was stolen generation history. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, you know, there's things that you can do to your body that are really brutal, but there's also things you can do to your mind, <laughs> which are insane. And and going on retreats and silent retreats yeah. and staying in monasteries is fascinating. Like it was, you know, it's it's really strange to intentionally go off and remove yourself, and remove yourself from your own life, but put yourself in a religious context. So you stay with monks at this place. It's called New Norcia. It's in WA. Um, and you stay with monks, and there's like eight or nine prayer services a day, starting really early. Um, they're all in Latin; they've all got Latin names, and um, you you move into the rhythms of religious life, which I think is a remarkable thing to be able to do mm. in you know in this century. Yeah, and it, it was really interesting to hear you talk about um, what the cadence of daily life there was like and almost like the solitude was kind of a bit um, oppressive almost at times. It was. I mean, I now realise like that was one of the first sort of silent retreats I've done. I now realise that that was probably anxiety. You know, that was the anxiety of never having spent a minute in contemplation suddenly having a lot of time to um, think and being slightly freaked out by it. And so you did a huge amount of yoga as well as part of this mm. and the, the yoga teaching program and you met this fantastic guy who's, mm. who's your coach throughout that. And I think my reading of um, the audio book um, as far as I got into it was that one of the more rewarding experiments that you did was that sort of group yoga teaching yeah. program. Yeah, that's. I mean there's, some, there's something to be said for feeling good in the body. Yep. You know, it's a... It's not a feeling I've experienced many times. I'm a bit of a stop and start exerciser. But to to commit to a practice of something 
to go every day, to have a community around you, to have a philosophy behind that exercise. Um, Yeah, it was really, it was really great. And often when I finish those things, I think I need to do this forever. And of course, you know, it doesn't, (laughs) doesn't pan out. So Well Mania being adapted into a Netflix series? It is. Celeste Barber's starring. Um, It drops, as they say, on March 29th. Um, and so that's um, I co-created that with Benjamin Law, who's a wonderful, um, wonderful friend, but also a wonderful creator of many different works, including the Family Law. And he, I mean, I got him to blurb Well Mania when it came out, and he read it, and I, I think the disgustingness appealed to him. You know, the, of the fast, like the visceral sort of. I can't wait to see it on screen. Smells and. <laughs> And so he um, he and Fremantle kind of got the rights and um, Celeste agreed to be in it, which is so exciting. So it's been a it's been a real dream ride. Yeah, fantastic. So balancing that and stoicism um, with where your life and where it's at now, sort of how much do you get to do in terms of investing um, the daily stoic practices into your kind of your movings about? I use stoicism every day. Every day, um, it's profoundly, it's profoundly changed my life in ways that I didn't expect. Like I am actually genuinely less reactive. Um, I'm also a lot more um, conscious of my own character. Uh, I had a day yesterday or the day before where my computer was, you know stuffing up and I, I got really, you know, like you, I got short with someone that was the help desk. Mm. And afterwards I was like, oh, wow, that was a real character fail yep. on my behalf. You know, that was, that was not good. Whereas previously I wouldn't have thought that. I would have probably gone, oh, the bloody help desk, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, so it's just really turned things around. Um, I am more aware of the mortality of, friends and family and myself and inclined to like not hold grudges because it's like life's too short. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love stoicism. I think it's a really profound, um, I think it's a really profound practice and I, I, I want more people to do it. Like, you know, it's just like friends, uh, you know, obviously all my friends have read the book cause I've forced them, but you know, the feedback I get from that is like, Oh yeah, I was having this really rough time with my family. I picked up your book, I read a bit of Stoicism, I'm framing it this way. So it has a very useful um, effect on people. It's fantastic and amazing to hear about. Where can people um, get your book, learn more about everything that you do? Um, Where can they get Wellmania and also connect with you and learn more about you? Well, uh, you'll definitely learn more about me reading all my books. (laughs) (laughs) Reasons Not to Worry uh, and soon to be Wellmania being re-released for the Netflix show, any bookstore. Um, It's coming out internationally. We've sold it into 11 territories, which is exciting. So this week Italy and Slovakia have um, brought rights, which is great, US, UK, um, uh, Spain, various other places. So that's really cool. Um, I'm on Twitter at BridgerWD. Um, I did have a weekly column in The Guardian, but that is um, I'm having a pause um, and I'm working as a speechwriter for um, one of our lovely politicians. Really? Um, what's that? Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Fantastic. So I'm in, 
I'm um, working in politics like a good Stoic should. Yeah. Uh, and that's been a really be interesting... Public life, very important. Public life. And that's been a really interesting and fantastic shift. And a lot of Stoicism comes in handy with that. Uh, so, yeah, you can, yeah, you can just look me up, buy the book, practice Stoicism. And get ready for this series on Netflix as well. Get ready. Get ready to see Buckle Celeste up. sweat a lot and be yeah. very uncomfortable. Get ready to laugh and cry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks it's been so much, Mike. That was so great. Total pleasure. Yeah. Cheers. You talk- If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.